Hey, hello and welcome everybody. Thank you so much for coming along. It's lovely to see you all here and uh, really, really grateful for you tuning in. So welcome back to the British Canoeing Paddlecast. Um, I'm Etienne Stott, I'm a paddler till I die, a proud environmental activist, a campaigner, a rebel and an Olympic champion, which I sometimes forget, but I think that's still pretty cool, hopefully. So yeah, look, the world has struggled on since the last uh, set of paddle casts. It's been tough out there. You know, some things have gotten worse. Some things have gotten better. I'm a sort of glass half full person, but I don't know how it's been for you. I hope you've managed. I hope you've uh, managed to keep going despite all the challenges and perhaps found some nice bits and pieces going on for you as well. So it's been a tough winter for sure. And uh, now we're just starting to see the nights are um, getting shorter. The evenings are starting to call us and perhaps there might be a little bit of paddling on the horizon as a lockdown eases. So that's why we're bringing the paddlecast out again, um, just to keep you entertained in the run up to a full return to paddling and getting out on the river. So look, it's going to be lovely this next uh, this next few weeks. We're going to have a really cool series of uh, podcasts coming out. We're going to have all sorts of things going on. It's going to be really good, interesting people from across the kind of canoeing paddle sports community. We're going to be covering topics around access and uh, things like that. But then also we've got a sheep paddle stuff, um, a bit about the health of our rivers and waterways, the Tokyo Games and all sorts. So please keep coming along because we're going to keep you entertained for sure. So it's great for you to be here tonight. And thank you if you are watching on a catch up or catching up on a paddle cast. It's really good to have you coming along, even if you're not here for the, for the live show tonight. Well, we've got lots of hopefully new people coming in to listen and welcome back the old uh, viewers from the last time round. It's really nice to have you back. So thank you so much. So, yeah, as always, um, please feel free to comment, send um, questions in to the social media channel that you're connecting with us here tonight. And we'll do our best to answer and uh, chum you along and, and kind of interact a little bit as well if we can. So, yeah, tonight we've got a really interesting episode coming up. Um, it's going to be super cool. We're joined by Lucy Siegel. And Lucy is an awesome person. She's an author, a journalist, and a TV presenter, and specializing in environmental issues. So she's also a paddler, which I think is super cool. That's why I've got her on here. She's a trustee of our good friend Surfers Against Sewage, who are an amazing organization. And she's organizer of a charity paddle, which is where our paths crossed uh, for the first time. So First of all, uh, welcome Lucy to the Paddlecast. It's lovely to have Thank you here. Thank you. Oh, I'm so delighted to be here. How can you forget that you are an Olympian? Well, I tell you, one of the things that scares me is it's going to be 10 years uh, next year. That's going to be like a decade. But for me, no, it's still it's still quite real, but it's, it's also... It's timeless. Yes, I, well, we will see when I'm all, all old and wrinkly and I've got my gold medal hanging around my neck. But no, thank it you so much for being here. Thank you. It's absolutely brilliant to be here. Um, and how was your day? What have you been up to? Anything interesting? Um, what did I do today? I left the house to pick up Ben, my partner, when he came home from work. He works at St. Thomas's Hospital. Oh, and um, that was obviously exciting to go outside. I went for a very short paddle because I live near the river and I take my little dog across in the kayak because the, yeah. the walks are on the other side of the river so you have to find a way across here um 
And the river's gone down a lot. River Thames has gone down a lot and then went through quite a big walk. Um, I did do some work as well, just in case my many bosses are tuning in. Fair enough. We've been writing all day. Don't don't worry. That's cool. Well, look, uh, it's super good to have you here. So I think it's uh, really interesting. So you and I, we first uh, spoke uh, last year, although poof, I don't know where that where that all happened, but you were organizing a uh, paddling challenge to support the Samburu Girls Foundation in Kenya. Yeah. And um, I just thought it'd be interesting you know, to explain to the viewers a little bit about that because I'd never heard of it until you approached me and I never got to do it in the end. Um, but it'd be cool to hear about it and find out if you're going to do it again and, and what the yes. story is and that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, last year we, um, so Ben, my partner and I have, um, an association with the Samburu Girls Foundation in Kenya. I don't, can't quite remember how, I think it was through Nimco Ali, who is a campaigner, um, anti-FGM campaigner, uh, on girls and women's rights, uh, FGM being female genital mutilation. And um, we got involved with Josephine Kalea, Dr. Josephine Kalea in Kenya, who is just an amazing woman. Like Barack Obama has spoken about her. In fact, he did a speech where he said that she gives him hope. Imagine cool. Barack Obama yeah. saying that. It's, name it's check. Cool. Yeah, name check. So um, she, um, she um, was a victim of FGM herself, and she um, left – her village. So the Sambura uh, people are um, a, it's called a sub-tribe. That's not my phrasing. That's that's what is uh, in the kind of UN lexicon and, and is um, the, the way that they're referred to of the Maasai. And um, just to sort of think about where that is. And then um, FGM is endemic or has been endemic in um, villages, Sambura villages. So girls flee um josephine actually goes and liberates them she she's done like night raids she's gone into villages and she's taking girls with her to escape fgm and she set up a school um uh it's like a boarding school but it's much more than that is where you go and you start your life being free from child marriage forced marriage um persecution uh victims of violence including fgm so she's just an incredible woman um covid has been a complete nightmare as it has for everyone mm. um but in 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 the sambura um in in kenya they announced that everyone all all schools had to shut as they did you know in the uk and everyone had to go back to their villages which obviously for sambura girls is a really massive problem. Yeah, yeah so they go back they go back essentially in into the same the same circumstances that they fled from and often the situation can be magnified because they're considered outcasts and there's all sorts of assumptions yeah. made about where they've been and what they've been doing. So um, uh, Josephine and a very small team basically carried on their work. And, you know, they had one guy who was driving miles and miles and miles on a moped to get to the villages, to talk and reason with, you know, the families in the village, just trying to make sure that the girls didn't get sold into marriage and, a lot of a lot of um, villagers obviously didn't have any income during this time, so they were seeing the girls as a way of making money. So the whole thing, you know, has been chaotic. Mm. And so we decided we were going to raise some money. So um, we decided that we would do a paddle with Matt Allwright, who I hope will be joining us tonight. Um, <laughs> we will see. That's just see. just to people who don't know, Matt Allwright is supposed to be coming, but we're not sure what's going on. So we're kind yeah. of 
carrying on with Lucy, which is, is awesome to have you here. Oh, he's on his way. Here. He'll be here. He'll be here. He's he always turns up like the man from Milk Tray, um, and he'll probably be wearing a black polo neck as well. But um, so yeah, we there was fifteen of us. And we sort of got this window in between the lockdowns to jump in our kayaks and to borrow some double kayaks from um, a place in Windsor who were very um, nice to us. And British Canoeing helped us to organise a 20-mile paddle from Windsor to Hampton Court. So it was 20 miles in 2020. This year, I want to do 21 miles in 2021. I was about to say, surely you've got to do 21 miles, yeah. And it will keep going up, and it will keep going up um, until we get to net zero, and I wonder what you think of net zero, actually. But maybe Ooh, that's a different. We can come to that. Yes. <laughs> don't don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, I knew you'd have something to say about that. So so yeah, so that's so that's what we did. Um, uh, in my kayak, I had Angelica Bell, who is a really good friend of mine. She's a TV presenter, and she um, does like the Martin Lewis Money Show, and loads of loads of different things. It's just Scala Radio. And she's done quite a lot of challenges, you know, those kind of celebrity challenges. So she mm-hmm. went to the North Pole and I remembered that there was one challenge with a kayak and I, she was in a kayak with Rav Wilding in, and it was like they were paddling through ice, like ice breaking kayaking. So I thought, oh, she'll be great at this. So we get in this kayak in the morning of the challenge and we do the 20 miles and she's quite, she's very like, go faster like that. I mean, I actually almost. Were you in the back? I was in the back because I'm here. Oh, yeah. And the steering thing wasn't really working. Anyway, it was it was it was a nightmare. It was really exhausting. And by the time we got to the end of it, we had to go through all the locks, like seven locks and everything. And by the time when we got to the end of it, she goes, Oh, sorry if I was a bit tense, but I'm absolutely terrified of water. Really? But she only told me after 20 miles. Oh, she put her trust in you. That's pretty cool. And you kept a steady ship, I'm assuming. And no <laughs> It wasn't no... very steady. No. <laughs> But anyway, she was amazing, and I hope she does it again. But Matt, when Matt arrives, he can tell you about it. But he was the top fundraiser when we got into the locks because it was in between the lockdowns. If you remember August last mm. summer, I know it seems a long time ago. Um, there was quite a few mob happy people on boats, and there was a women's institute group from somewhere, Spalding or something. Mm. And he ba- he chatted them up in the lock, and they were throwing notes at us, some of which were landing in the water. Here he is. Ah, here he is, the man himself. <laughs> well done, Matt. You've made it. Yeah, so I'm so sorry about that. There was a slight miscalculation on my part. It's all right. Oh. And I like your red earphones, I have to say. You know, uh, they are excellent. They've been, they've been heavily modified, Etienne. That's what they, they look, are. They look like festive. Um Wow, good for you! Like I'm, is, it, is it okay if I just introduce you to the to the to the to the people? Is that all right, Matt? Because it's great to have you here, and you know this is the first of the new season, so it's really awesome to have Lucy and Matt here joining us today on the on the Paddlecast. Welcome everybody again, and thank you so much for being here, Matt. Well, it's just so good to have you here. Um, it's really super cool. Uh, Matt is well, basically, he's a watchdog presenter, consumer expert, and I do also believe you have been undertaking a particularly niche area of paddle sports recently. And I thought that would be interesting to kind of hear about that because, well, go on, please tell us a little bit more. Well, I'm not even sure it is a sport, Etienne. I, I mean, it's Is it that cutting edge? Are we talking, it's like it's unclassified? It, well, it's, it's certainly not in the Olympics yet. 
um, but it's something that it's just it just happens because at the uh, the the canoe club, the kayak club that I'm a member of, we get a slot that starts at seven o'clock in the evening, and of course in the summer that's glorious. Um, but then when we get to the winter and we go all year round, we end up paddling. We actually you drop in in the night and, and we come back at night. And I I hadn't really worked that out when I joined the club in July that we'd be night kayaking. And night wow. kayaking is the most just fabulous thing because y- you are suspended in inky blackness and just all you can hear is the sound of your paddle as it dips into the water, occasional chat, but not too much, uh, and just the sounds of the riverbank and the and you're, you're kind of floating, you're in space because I don't know if you've, I'm sure you've paddled at night, Etienne, you, you must have done that. Oh, for sure. But not, is, it, is, it, is it a really dark section of river that you get to paddle on? So is it quite like? Yeah, it's on the Thames, but it's it's countryside Thames. Oh, I see. So, yeah. so, you know, depending on the night, some nights it's moonlit and mm. other nights there's just nothing. The moon is hidden by cloud. And, you know, we, we all wear lights so we can we can find each other. But But when you're looking out, if you're at the head of the group, you can't see anything. There's How no- far do you go? I mean, we we don't do anything like the distance that we did on our day together, Luce, uh, because, you know, we, we maybe make it through a lot. Locks are limiting at that time of night. You know, you know, you port portaging in the middle of the night, really. So but we can we can do a good like 12K in a night, something like that. We're quite we're quite, you know, we're, we're so- energetic. I've got a question here from um, from Rebecca Lovat. Uh, hi, Becky. Nice to see you here. Um, and just she's asking you your famous map for your preferred Rogue Traders uh, bike. Difficult question. What no. is it? Kayaking or biking? I think it. You know, as I get older, one's not much use on the river, and one's not much use on the road. So you, you're absolutely well. Bike in the river. I saw a guy on a bike board thing the other day. He came past this bit of the Thames really he pedals on a bike oh we're actually cycling on the river yeah on a oh, board yeah, obviously yeah. on yeah, a board yeah I've seen him yeah that's a real You've hipster seen him, yeah. that's a hipster thing he doesn't it? look like a hipster Matt is he typing on a typewriter as he's as he's doing it does he have <laughs> he, a handle on the staff yeah it's really pissed off he's like <laughs> um so no the answer to that is um I've definitely segued into into sea kayaks particularly there is something about the shape of a sea kayak Mm. that's what first attracted me to the whole thing it's just the way that 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 the deck is so low and close to the water Mm. and you get that prow you know that's so proud and oh man and you just feel like a little mini viking yeah yeah got that nordic cool about it hasn't (laughs) it you know that's just eskimo cool that, that you just you just feel like the king of the seas in that thing. Yeah. So I've been I've been sea kayaking a little bit, just and it, it is something about it. it. Is there is something kind of it's really long in front of you, isn't it? And you kind of make you think like you can just like the horizon. You just kind of go in. I think it's I think it's a really cool thing. Really nice yeah. design. Yeah. So is that is that a definitive kayaking versus biking? Then you know I I love biking, but it's noisy and it's you know it's it's not that great. It's a, it's a the, the lovely thing about biking, and I suppose that kayaking has in, in common with um, with a motorcycle, is your the ability. There's a kind of union between your body and the mm. vehicle, you know, and the thing. Because yeah, yeah. a bike's not like a car. You have to move it with your body, with your hips, to make it go around corners. And edging is the same in a kayak. So I suppose 
maybe there's a little bit of of crossover between those. Yeah, but, the feeling um, of swooshing around. That's what it's all about for me, anyway. That's why I love. That's why I love in, in slalom and, and all boats actually when they they move around. Lucy, what sort of boat do you paddle? What sort of what sort of craft is your kind of medicine? Mine is a very stable granny's kayak, isn't it, Matt? Because I think Matt had to. For various logistical reasons, he ended up doing quite a few miles in my kayak, and I don't think it was pleasant. Was it cursing? It was, I think it was just when the headwind kicked in, and I felt, Mm. you know, when you're paddling, but you're watching Mm. the scenery go backwards, it Mm. was just, I was making very little headway uh, in it. it But mine's more of a going, I do go and get the shopping in it. I go to Kingston, which is near here, and then I, I, I fill it up with shopping. From, or I used to, you know, when one could do such things. And also I have to put my dog in it. So I want stability. Also, you do like heroic, heroic rubbish clearing. Yes, I do. Well. So you yeah. need the plastic space as well within the I bar. need the space. I need the space. Yeah. So is it is it is it a messy section of river where you are then, Lucy? Does it no, get like... not well. Today there was some very there was sort of half a sofa making its way down, um, and I got quite excited because there's been quite a big seal that's appeared in the last few weeks ah. up here. Um, uh, have you seen Have you seen video footage of seals going through the locks through the portage? No, I haven't. No. Oh Go my on. god, it's hilarious. They've learned how to operate the lock. <laughs> With their flippers, to, to do the, they do the yeah. sort of uh, the, the winder. <sighs> yeah, they amazing. go through the portage. They go through the portage, but it's very funny. It's very, it's just very cool. Anyway, one's come up here, and the other day, about two weeks ago, I was on the phone, and the river's out there, so I was like, I'm, I'm always looking this way, and I thought I saw a futon at the end, like at the end of the garden, sort of thing, and then I realised it was a seal. Wow. I was on the phone. I went, it's a seal. Fortunately, I was talking to someone from the environment agency who was also a nature lover, so it's fine. But I, I um, yeah, I do collect plastic. And recently, because Hampton Court's palace has been closed and the sweet shops around the place have been mm-hmm. closed, there's just no litter at, like there usually is. And it's not that people chuck it in; it's that the the, bill, the bins overspill yeah, and it, it rolls and it yeah. blows in, and so, you know it just ends up in the river. So you've noticed a big difference then during the pandemic to the, the the sort of water quality, the the cleanliness of the river. Here, I've noticed a big difference. Yeah, I really have because when it's busy and it's crazy busy in the sum in the summer, and the flower show is on, and then there's a food show and stuff like that. Yeah, you really notice, and there's lots more boats chugging about, and the heart this this last twelve months has been pretty quiet. Well, there was a period last summer it was like Love Island because everyone came to the Thames because they couldn't go away. I saw some sights. I re- and people would go out and paddle boards in the morning when it's sunny in very mm. skimpy skimpy wear, and then they would come back at night when it was quite cold, and it just didn't work as well. <laughs> so we we had great fun watching this, but yeah, the the the, the quantity of rubbish has been noticeably less. The, quant- the the quantity of so called litter, and it is just really, like I say, symptomatic of volume. Too much plastic, too much plastic bottles, um, and actually, I was in Hampton Court Park, home park, the other week, and we noticed that where the tents are for the flower show 
is full of tiny bits of microplastics from flower pots, from sheeting. And bear in mind, there was no flower show last year. So that's from two years ago. So these events have got to go plastic free. They've Mm. just got to. Because there's a lot of wildlife over there. There's kestrels, there's skylarks, there's, you know, lots of different things. And it, they've got to turn that plastic free. So that's another hobby horse that I'm going to. That is going to be at their get door. On. Get them, get on it. I am. So, so Matt, I know that you're, you know, I, I, well, you're very much associated with this kind of consumer side of things. Where do you stand on kind of access and sustainability and environmentalism with you? I mean, I guess you, you, you seem to know Lucy quite well. Has any of this kind of passion uh, rubbed off on you? And, and, and I'm interested about that. Yeah, no, a- absolutely. I mean, I, I'm a massive admirer of, of Lucy's because I think that, um, you know, I kind of, uh, we're mates as well. You know, I have to say that. Full disclosure. But, you know, the flip You should have heard what she said about you when you weren't here on time. Well, I'll play that back. I, I, you know, I'm it was gonna, off air. It's all evidence. Is that right? Uh, okay. <laughs> no, noted. But no, I think I think they're kind of they're two ends of this of the same thing. So I'm looking at, at what people buy uh, with a view to them getting a, a good deal. But but value for money really is so linked to um, what we end up doing with stuff at the end of it. So if you buy well in the first place, it's it's typically something that endures. You know, clothing is the really obvious um, mm. example of this. This is one of Lucy's big things as well, right? So, yeah. I mean. yeah. And you, you look at the process by which we, we buy clothing, and I'm really conscious of that, like outdoor clothing, like kit for kayaking. Let's take that as a, mm. as a classic example. If you buy cheap, then it's, it won't last, and then you get rid of it, and then it's part of that, what the hell do I do with this? process that that you go through um and you you know getting stuff that endures and is of quality they're kind of two sides of the same thing really getting a good deal and then looking after the planet are are intrinsically linked i think and the sooner we see the quality of things and and understand what makes a quality piece of clothing piece of kit whatever it is a product then then the sooner I think we'll be happier and we'll hold on to stuff longer and we'll buy less and it won't end up as, as rubbish. Cause there's some interesting thing here as well. So Lucy, I know that you're really interested in this idea of circular economy. And this mm. is one of the ideas where, you know, nothing ever goes to waste. It's just round round. But the other thing that I think is really interesting about these ideas is that you borrow, you don't have things yeah. of your own, you borrow them and you keep them until you need them and someone else takes them back. And I'm wondering there's so much about canoeing equipment, kayaking equipment, boats and all those sorts yep. of things i wonder if we could do that sort of thing but I, I don't know if everyone knows what you know it'd be nice to, can you talk a little bit about that circular economy that would be really cool yeah well the the circular economy so basically we live in a linear economy and a linear society so everything we take resources from the earth so we take about 100 billion tons of resources from the earth each year globally and 80 to 90 percent of those resources ends up as pollution so in the form of atmospheric pollution, carbon mm. dioxide, or held almost like landfill in the sea, which is what plastic, what happens to plastic. So um, that's incredibly, uh, not only just wasteful and, and this whole kind of idea that, that the earth is there just so we can rape and pillage, you know, it's just a really odd idea. And of course, that puts strain on the uh, biosphere because it can't regenerate. Um, and that means that our life-sustaining services are compromised. Um, and so take make and waste, which is a linear system, 
is causing huge environmental destruction and it's also a very stupid way of um, making stuff. So circular economy is the opposite of that and you take a resource and you keep it in circulation so you can do that in lots of different ways. Some some materials can be regenerated because some are circular, but an aluminium can here, which is a more circular material. Um, plastic, I don't believe there's any evidence for plastic being a circular material. Um, so I think that we should cut, turn the tap off so we need to produce less plastic. So reuse, repair, all the sharing economy stuff is all really, really important in keeping those resources in circulation and extending their lifespan. And when we look, and there's been quite a lot of modeling that's been done on circular economy, and the gains are just fantastic. There's massive carbon gains. So if you look at uh, renewable energy giving 55% or delivering that 55% of the cuts that's needed to get to the Paris totals, Paris Agreement, um, 45% could be done through circular economy. And it's not like a button. You can't turn it, you know, you can't switch it off overnight. But we're starting to see more and more stuff um, going in that direction. So last week, the UK bought in a repair law. Matt may know. Yeah, right to repair this. law. Right oh, to look, repair. Matt. Yeah. Yeah. And I got excited. It's really, it's really exciting because building in to the contract of your sale, the idea that this thing not only has a, a, a you know a, a reasonable lifespan but also when that lifespan any part of that um goes the manufacturer has to provide parts yeah. so that you can repair it yourself and i don't know about you Luce, but during lockdown i've repaired so many yes. things because i've had the time and the re- there are the resources out there i repaired my dishwasher four mm. different parts of my dishwasher before I realised it was just... Did you feel, you must have felt like the guy there after doing so that? Empowered. So empowered. Yes. Um, just, just, just feeling like, do you know what? The other thing that's out there is there are so many uh, resources online to show oh. you how to do this stuff now. Um, and they break it down and they make it simple to understand. And, and you realise that it's, it's not that difficult. So, you know, I've, I've, I am not a practical person in that sense at all. Oh, and yeah. yeah well, I, I'm getting be. better. I'm getting better, but I'm not the practical one in my family, if that makes sense. Well, you, you know, don't need to be if you've got someone else practical. You're just getting them in to help you, don't you? That's it. But, but sometimes but it's nice to, to stand on your own two feet yeah. and go, yeah, I repair. I repaired something too. You know, there, there are so many things that I've just taken the time to, to put back together. And watching them work again is fabulous. I repaired I think, my Hoover. Did you? Well, I just got some new parts for it. Yeah, but that's it. That's as long as the parts are that, as long as the parts are available. I did the same yeah. thing, you know. And it's like I I used to send this off, and they'd send me back a new one. And yeah. the ways the the waste in that, I you know, I think it's fascinating what you're saying. I think there's another part of the equation that we haven't addressed yet, and that is yeah. about the the tremendous illusion of choice that we are yes. presented with at the front mm. end of purchases. When mm. I don't know about you, Etienne, I spend I spend hours um, agonizing over like minutiae of each purchasing decision based on, you know, like tiny fragmental decisions about will this be slightly better than this? You know, and I can spend whole days considering things like the length of a paddle. OK, it's you, crucial. You know, <laughs> you know or, or do I... Do I want it to be a cranked shaft or 
These are really important decisions for for an Olympian. Never heard of these things. A four piece or a two piece, you know, and you spend ages thinking about these. At the end of the day, it's going to make no difference at all. The thing that's going to make the difference on the day is whether it's raining and it's out of your control. That's how much you're going to enjoy your paddle. So you just like submit, stop agonizing, spending days over purchasing decisions when actually we are being presented with more and more illusion of choice. But do, and then, do you not enjoy that then? Is that, do you feel trapped into making these decisions? Is that I not part of your process? I'm spending more time thinking about that than I am about the paddle, about the experience <laughs> itself, you know, and no. that's the thing that, that's the thing that worries me. Um, you know, oh, here's a good one. Interesting. Do you, do you know, do you know what this is a Greenland paddle? Have you, have you guys come across that? So this is sort of, no. it's like a stick. I came across this a few years ago. I never even blew my mind. I don't know. Some of the, some of the people watching might not know. It look, it's basically like a little stick and you, you, you use it to paddle and it's incredible. The techniques are, it's, it's a, it's a, a specific kind of, um, I guess it's an indigenous technique from when, you know, sea kayaking was originally invented, but it's really clever. And I, I even came across a carbon one, which I thought was quite an interesting one. And it's very cool. Um, what, what does it? What What does it kind of do in a sense? Like, Matt, what do you does it enable you to do? Yeah, so it's it's an Inuit design, and it basically it looks like two flattened baseball bats joined together in the middle, yes. and it looks completely impractical because you haven't got the blade size that you'd mm-hmm. have with something he's got them all there he's got them lined up oh, okay see that's got a big blade Celtic. on it yeah look at that right. I, i'm not being sponsored um whereas the Inuit, <laughs> that looks like flattened baseball bats and you would think well i'm not going to make any headway with that at all but because it's typically made of wood or some kind of buoyant i suppose this is how it works some kind of buoyant like uh, carbon shell then you get the buoyancy with it and so it makes things like rolling a lot easier. Mm. Um, and and if for use in the wind, that's the thing. So it's like when you're when you're in in those really cold, windy places, you know, other the other half of your paddle catches the wind. And so they, these these are used for basically paddling in really windy conditions. And you can actually you shuffle your hands up one side and the other, and it's some some really it's. it's like yeah, when I saw it, I was like, you could never. And I had a go with it, and that's actually oh yeah, you can see they were thinking, you know, they were clever, and it's well, really you just yeah. your hands up. So you yes. actually hold, you can hold one, you hold the paddle. It's really short. They're only like they're what about just well, not very much shorter than a normal length paddle, and you basically you hold the end of the paddle with your mm-hmm. hand in the middle, and then you paddle it along like that. And then you yeah. switch your hand to the other end, so you've never got the the long end of your paddle going through against the wind. Oh. So you've never got like a stub against the wind. That is and clever. So it's some it's really be a lot a lot more relaxing as well to paddle because mm. there's a lot less resistance in the water. So you haven't got a big blade to try and you know manipulate in the water as mm. well. So well, I'd maybe love- we should do our. 21 miles for 2021. Maybe we should use these. Have a practice. Together. Have a practice first. And then well, the do weather the last miles. year. The weather last year we could have done with some was, wind resistant. It was tropical. <laughs> it was monsoon. It was awful. As well. It was freezing. So this is a question that I heard you talk about earlier. You said you don't. You think the what, the rain is the thing that whether you determines whether you enjoy your paddling. But I love paddling in the rain. I just hate paddling in the wind. I think actually mm. paddling at night in the rain on a still night and it's all like I think that's a beautiful thing. I love I love paddling in the rain because when you've got your gear on, 
everyone else is miserably kind of oh, it's raining and you're like i'm totally fine and when oh. it's not i love it i love 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 paddling in the rain on oh. a calm night could we um I was Can the only one with a spray deck, Etienne. So that made a big difference. Ah, oh, I see. Yeah. Like warm legs. That's hard. What when you when you were out at night? No, or when you. you did ours? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're the only one with a beret as well. Thank you very um, much. So here's a good question coming in on the chat here. From, oh, go on, okay. Lucy. First no, of all, I, go on. Just see. before just before we finish the repair chat, mm. I'm getting the impression that there's a lot of kits, like you know, uh, clothing kits. If you're doing this properly, which I don't, because I just wear my jeans. But what I would say is, it's a bit like skiing. If you've got a specialist sport, and um, you um, a you should mend your kit as well. And there's a really good website called Repair What You Wear, and it's a woman called Roz who's been a textiles tutor for like 30 years, and she's brilliant at explaining how to do secret stitching darning like on difficult fabrics because a lot of technical fabrics are really hard to mend so make sure you mend it but also if you're doing like swapping clothes swapping is really really important in part as part of circular economy if you're part of a sports group you've got the perfect base to swap clothes with whether it's in a club or whether it's online or whatever but that's what lots of skiers do and the whole kind of clothes rental swapping thing really did start with ski wear and specialist sports apparel so um oh. please yeah so this is an interesting it relates really well to this question so andrew green here is coming up with a question um and it's a thorny one and i don't i just thought yes. i'd punt it out there because it's like so should we be moving yeah. away from plastic kayaks or recycle kayaks and I, so i'm one of the things that i hear a lot and i sort of struggle with it myself i actually think you know you're right i believe uh, Lucy that plastic you you know you're basically downcycling it each time you recycle it but I think like plastic is a remarkable material it's super useful you know it revolutionized kayaking and canoeing and it's done so much good for our all sorts of things one of the big problems is that we just get rid of it but actually kayaks a plastic kayak the ones you know I see run down the canal I see plastic kayaks from literally 30 years ago when I was well 20 years ago when I was starting and they're still going they'd probably be more or less fine and I think it's really interesting to, to think how we could change kayak I mean we had some kayak manufacturers on in the last series and there's it's a complex challenge but I kind of I don't want to have you got any thoughts on on that because it's a bit of a tricky business well there is there is a guy I can't remember his name down in um Plymouth or maybe even down in Cornwall but he makes kayaks from ocean plastic so um you know like ghost gear like the fishing nets that are okay. dumped at sea 640,000 every year um and they can that that um you know divers obviously retrieve mm. it and um that can be made into stuff and he does kayaks from that i did want one of those but there's a there was quite a long wait time at the, at the time and i think i agree with you like so so where i i'm talking about turning the tap off with plastics some plastics are, you know, like genuinely life-saving. I don't want a wooden heart valve if a plastic one <laughs> will do the job. And I think as a society, we need to say, yeah, this is what we're going to use plastics for. This is not. And I think like kayaks and canoes, I think are mm. a really good use of, of them. There's also that trade-off. I mean, I wouldn't have a, a kayak if if there wasn't a plastic one because yeah. I wasn't about to get into kayaking by spending like 1500 quid on, on something that you know, I just couldn't do that, that you've got to have access. 
And what that's doing, a plastic kayak is is giving people access to the river where they see what's happening in the river. They they are then partially responsible for what's happening in the river. And like we do, you start noticing changes in it as well. And I think something like that, that's going to last, what, 15, 20 years, Mm. be regularly used, is going to give people a window onto things for which they have to take responsibility if if yeah. that if that makes sense so no that nature connection yeah. that's one of the things we keep coming back to over and over and over again it's like this sense of stewardship and, and connection and ownership if you know something and you, you value it you know you get that out there and i think that's one that that's what i'm going to ask both of you because i suppose you've both come to, to paddling i don't know how long you've been paddling for but how has it changed your perspective uh, on on life because i've been a, a kayaker since you know since i was 11 10 11 something you know it's most of my life and i hope i will be forever but has it changed your perspective on either yourself or the world other people i don't know does does that how does that sound as a question it could be quite a deep philosophical question yes yeah, a nice question i first i was i first um learned to kayak when i was a teenager and i went i grew up partly in ireland and moved back to England and then I went on holiday with my friends in Ireland with their family and there was like 15 or 16 of us staying in West Cork a lot of us were teenagers and my friend's dad had the brilliant idea of getting us out of bed really early every morning and booking a kayak instructor so that we couldn't like just be annoying and naughty all day we had to get in this kayak and I remember crying swearing screaming having all the strops and then just one day, maybe about six days in, I just loved it. I just absolutely loved it. And we were on the Atlantic side. And we there's a weird place there where the where fresh water meets salt water. And there's a sort of nature reserve. It's, it's a sort of like mini gyre thing. It's like incredible. And so for me, it was the first time that I could see like what was going on with the ocean. And that immediately was like I was, I was into um, – ocean currents and what was happening it was a whole new world it's like when I've heard people talk about the first time they went diving and they see mm. like what's beneath the surface for me that was a kayak because I've ne- I'd never got out in the water before I wasn't a very good swimmer boats make me seasick and that was it I just had access to water mm. and we want that I mean this is again one of British canoeings we you know this is used to be called the clear access clear waters podcast you know because we want it we're really trying to get this because it's absolutely scandalous really how little people are allowed to go on the water what about you Matt how has how has kayaking changed your life I've always been very nervous in water I'm not a terribly strong swimmer at all and Mm. it was always felt out off limits and I think there's a combination there when you're when you're in a kayak you are responsible for your own you, you can power yourself and mm. i think as a kid that's incredibly like liberating and 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 you suddenly think i can get places and it's just going to be me i'm responsible for this it's got to go right uh, that in itself is is amazing um but also now as we you know as you start being part of the paddling community and you start seeing the veins that run through the country that that you could Mm. You you could go on those and you could go from mm. one place that you know to another place you know by a route that nobody else is going to be taking. Mm. Then it starts to get really magical and that sense of adventure of, of seeing places on the map and you're going by a road that very few other people are going to take and you're going to see things that other people don't see. Then mm. then again, that has that, that sort of 
really inspiring feel of uh, of covering distance and you know being on being responsible for yourself while you're doing it as well you never lose that i think that's that that childlike sense of um of being able to ah, do that it's yeah. cool i'm going to do a shameless plug actually right now because i'm involved in something called a save outdoor education uh, campaign because this is one of the things about outdoors it makes people feel like they are actually able to to be you know have some agency in life you know they can yeah. I, I i believe it gave me a huge amount of confidence to know you're not just going to melt in a, in a rainy day and you're not going to die <laughs> if you go out you know if you go out walking somewhere you're not going to get lost you can work something out with you and your bodies whatever and outdoor education i think is hugely important i got mine in scouts with my awesome scout leaders but i think that's just something that suffered so i want to do a big shout out there's there's a lot going on on that right now so check that out i think it's called a safe outdoor education campaign and a save outdoor education campaign and yeah just say because it sounds to me like you know it's super cool to have people like you who are you know in the public eye known as you know canoeist kayak enthusiasts because i believe canoeing kayaking power sports stand-up paddleboarding whatever are just such good sports to be able to get out there and i think i was going to ask oh go on matt go on i just think there's so many great lessons to learn from it as well especially for kids who maybe reject like traditional team sports yeah things like that and, and feel like you know, a lot of kids feel like I have no place in outdoor activities because I don't play team sport. Mm. This is something that just just takes you away from all of that. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be competitive, but you but you're gaining so much learning about how your body works, about yeah. balance, um, about nature. I just honestly, I, I wish I could do had time to, to do more of it because mm. I'm learning lessons still. And I'm, you know, 51 going out yeah. there. Yeah. Well, paddle sports are really gentle on your body as well, I think, generally speaking. So I'm my ambition, um, you know, if if indeed the planet lasts that long, I would like to be paddling long into my old age. There's some really inspiring older kayakers down in Nottingham who kayak in and they look to be having a w- wicked time. And that's what I want to do. And I'm I'm hoping I can do it because I actually think you can. Yeah, there's so much to learn. And there's a whole sort of side to kayaking and canoeing and paddle sports. I think that is you know, in your mind and about those kind of experiences of calm and those moments where I went out just the other day on the river here. It was the first really sunny day. It was super, super calm um, day, sunny. The water was actually really cold and I could almost like, this is just a beautiful, you know, it was just, I, I, you know, it's like, it was wonderful. And I think that's just a nice thing to, that we don't, you know, it's just like you appreciate things that you never would normally appreciate. So I think that's really good. Oh, I'm just seeing something else here. We're getting a lot of talk about surfers against sewage. Um, yeah. And I'm wondering, because I know, Lucy, you are connected strongly with surfers against sewage. Yeah. And I think that is yeah. something that, you know, we had Hugo Tagholm on the last series. He was super interesting. It's a really powerful campaign as well. Yeah, yeah. So surfers against sewage are, well, if you don't know them, they're a Cornish um, environmental charity. And they were set up, as the name suggests, because surfers like Chris Hines who set it up who was one of the people who set it up they got really bored of surfing and having finding a turd basically pressed (laughs) into their chest on their surfboard because that was the state of the sea uh, 30 years ago when they set it up since then they had a lot of success getting water companies to take responsibility for stuff like sewage but there's still massive massive battles in the in water quality Mm. um and we still have i remember one of the big surfing championship championships at watergate bay a few years ago was was held and because they don't have to declare it nobody realized that there had been as a kind of sewage outflow thing Mm. like when when there's really heavy rain 
because of our Victorian system, they still like release sewage into the water and they don't have to tell you. So Surface Against Sewage has evolved into quite a sophisticated, still run out of Cornwall, still very grassroots, but quite a sophisticated environmental organization, does loads on plastic, has plastic free awards and stuff like that. But they know the right tools for the right activism. So as Hugo says, sometimes he puts on a suit and speaks nicely in Westminster and to the all-party parliamentary on um, uh, ocean health. And sometimes he <laughs> wears his wetsuit and they have inflatable turds and they parade them round, you know, and annoy politicians. So it's about selecting the right activism tool. And I think they just do that so brilliantly. They mm. really do. Um, I learned so much from them. Well, there's the uh, next next week. We're going to get get involved with that a little bit, and I think it'd be really interesting to to hear some more. And I think I suppose we're starting to come towards the end of the show. And I'm just wondering, Matt or Lucy, is there anything that you'd like to kind of just talk about before we kind of start to wrap up? Because I think uh, you know it's really great if you're if you're here. I'll bring in some comments here. What's this? So, hi, Matt. Thank you for endorsing night paddling. Yes. What kayaking challenge are you going to do? Once this is my friend out? Brian. This is oh, my guru. Is he a ringer? <laughs> Right. Well, I, it, Brian is the, is the man that, that is the guy that just leads me on and he's always the front of the pack and trying to race me uh, effectively. But he honestly, if it wasn't for Brian and the, the crew down at my kayak club, I, you know, it, I'm just learning so much. And um, yes, Brian, I'm up. We are going to be going to the Isle of Wight. Uh, we're going to do that uh, as soon as possible. It's good. Man. Cool. What well, about you, um, Lucy? Well, Brian... Have you got anything? Well, yeah, I mean, we, we need to do another fundraiser for Sambura. Um, would Brian like to um, join that? Matt? Well, I'd say Brian will be there and back by the time that we're sort of like halfway. <laughs> but that's so, okay. We can, have a, we can have a fast group. Etienne, <laughs> you, can, you can do it this year. You couldn't do it last year because you were doing climate activism. Mm, well, I will be fast because I've been on the flat water a lot over the lockdown. I've been on my river. I've not been doing much white water kayaking, but I reckon I'm probably reasonably reasonably swift on the flat water right now. Well, there's Are a you... challenge for myself and Angelica because we're pretty fast in our double. Oh, all right, okay. Oh, oh here's <laughs> another thing that's in, just just coming back onto the, uh, the yeah the plastic um, fathoms free based Thank in you. Cornwall. I'm going to have a look at that. That sounds really interesting. I couldn't remember the name. Great. Can't remember anything at the moment. Oh, and here's another interesting one. You see, it gets complicated. You know, we've got these conversations are really interesting. So wooden boats, sanding them all down, the dust, and then yes. the, 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 the VOC, I think that stands for volatile organic compounds. I it learned does. about this when I was doing engineering. Mm. You know, there's, there's, there's not, always, not all that simple answers, but I guess, you know, we've got to really think about these things. And, and at some point, you know, we just got to get, get hold of some of this and like try and get some, some sensible answers out. I mean, there are, there, are, there are so many plastic boats out there not being used. That's that's the key, isn't yeah. it? If they're not being used, yeah. pass them on so somebody can give them like the maximum number me. of uses for their lifetime and and make sure they're you know they're out there being used. That's mm. the key. Well, look, yeah. So, look, I, I think I, I think we could wrap it up there if you wanted to. Unless there's anything like one last thing, anything anyone anyone? Um, what can we say? What should we say, Matt? I just can't mm. wait for the boards to come down and get back on the water, honestly. Mm. I, it's just like I hope this summer 
is going to be, uh, you know, as as relaxed as it can be, so we can just make the most of it again. I yeah. want you to make a documentary about being a lockkeeper. Oh, I'd love to be a lockkeeper. I lock think keeper. you should be a lockkeeper for a week. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> These guys are brilliant. They've seen everything. And your trained seal that helps you to like do it. <laughs> yes. There you go. Get Chris Packham in or something like that to help along. Oh, yeah. Hey, look, both of you, I want to just say I'm so grateful. Um, yeah, just seen Brian Roberts's message. Of course, I am up for it. That's it. Full stop. Job Amazing. done. Amazing. It'll be there. Thank you, and, Brian. Yeah, Lucy, please get me the date as well, and I'll see if I can we, be around. We need to well. set a date, and I hope that people you – know, we'd like to make it bigger this year if the rules allow, so please look out because mm. um, uh, British Canoeing will help us, I'm sure, they and tell you when it is. And there's the last word to Pam Phillips. I started kayaking at 65. I'm now addicted, never too old to join our wonderful sport. So thank you very much, Pam. And look, I want to say thank you so much to Lucy and Matt for being here. I want to say thank you to everybody who's been viewing, everyone who's listening again on Facebook, YouTube. Remember, you can get all of this on a podcast uh, that on the usual places. It will be super cool if you can get involved with that. Please come again to the next Paddlecast editions. But Lucy and Matt, I don't know. I'm just so grateful for you being here. I'm so good, so grateful that you are advocating and out there proudly being canoeists and kayakers. Thank you for being here. And oh, yeah. thanks for inviting us. Thank you. Thank you very yes. much. Again. And maybe see you in the summer. Yes, indeed. When yeah. times are good, Please. stay Please. safe, everybody, and uh, look after yourself. And we will uh, see you again next week, same time, seven p.m. All over the place. Get on it. Thank you so much. All right. Bye for now.